0: This year in 2023, the JVA, Junior Volleyball Association, turns 15 years of age. Uh, I think it's good to look back and take a look at the, the founding of the organization. It had a big impact on the growth of junior volleyball and a lot of areas of junior volleyball. And uh, I think I probably know as much or more as anybody about the founding of the, of the organization. In, in October of 2006, I reached out to several clubs from around the country um, to come to a meeting in Warrenville, Illinois, actually at the Spring Hill Suites in Warrenville, Illinois, and we were going to discuss the state of junior volleyball. And uh, there were several items on the agenda, but the the number one overwhelming issue that uh, was becoming clear that it was going to be a, a problem going forward with at least some directors was the, the qualification process for USA Volleyball's Junior National Championship and you know if you anybody who's familiar with junior volleyball knows that the the qualification system for the top teams the open level teams it goes through national qualification bids it doesn't go through your region so if you wanted to play at the highest level uh, and want to compete at the highest level then you had to play in a series of qualification tournaments and you could just go to one tournament which you know uh, I, I guess some clubs did but you knew that if you went to a tournament where they were giving three bids out and you were fourth or fifth, and that was a really strong tournament, you might not get a bid. You might not get in to play in the open, what they call the open division, uh, which was the highest division of junior volleyball. So everybody knew this. And so the bid process basically was set up so clubs would go to multiple qualifiers. And in the 90s and early 2000s, uh, you know, if a club went to two qualifiers, that was quite a bit. I mean, we, we had a lot more, I think, common sense back in those days. But you could see what was coming. And uh, I remember having a conversation with somebody back in, I don't know, maybe the early 2000s saying, you know what, so, one of these days clubs are going to go to three qualifiers. And the, the club director said, you're crazy. Nobody would ever go to three qualifiers. <laughs> and fast forward to now and look at, you know, you've got teams going to three and four qualifiers. They're going to President's Day events. They're going to MLK events. You know, they're playing five or six times uh, a year in three-day events, kind of on concrete. So, but back in 2006, um, you know, our program, the Sports Reformers Program, was, uh, you know, was one of the top clubs in the country, as it had been since the 1980s. But I, myself and my wife, Cheryl, as the directors, we just, it just felt like we were headed in, in the wrong direction. Um, the qualifier process for USA Volleyball was a series of qualification events that were basically all owned by private entities. And so, USA Volleyball's national championship, which included all the qualification events, you know, was 8 to 10 or 11 events, but USA Volleyball only owned one of those events. And you know, the other events, the, the royalties to USA Volleyball were minimal. I mean, they were, I think, less than 10 percent. So the millions and millions and millions of dollars that was being spent to go to these tournaments, to play in these events, to try to qualify for the National Governing Bodies year-end event. you know Virtually all that money was going into private pockets, and nobody had an issue with people making money on volleyball. I think a lot of people had an issue with people who were getting rich <laughs> running the National Governing Bodies National Championship. And that was an issue, and so, You know, when I asked club directors to come to this meeting in Illinois in two thousand six, that was the primary that was the primary focus there. And you know, we had we had questioned it earlier, we had, you know, as a club alone, sports performance was sending in in a year over forty teams to qualifiers. But when you would ask or question about the process, you would kind of get, you know, basically slapped around. You would get told to get back in your corner, shut up. And do as you were told, even though you know you were the customer. And one of the things that we discussed a lot at the initial meeting in two thousand six, and there were, you know, a lot of good clubs there, probably twenty to twenty five, what I would call really, really strong clubs, and a lot of clubs locally, but also clubs from all over the country, California, Texas, you know, all over the country. And we discussed this process, and there was a lot of frustration with it. Another thing that was happening also was state of play was on the way. And State of Play was being billed as, you know, we're going to give everybody rooms at a cheaper price. Uh, we are going to tell you where to stay. <clears throat> we're all going to tell you, you know, we're going to do your booking for you. We're basically going to be your travel agent for you. And, you know, I think if you have any common sense whatsoever and you say, okay, you're going you're gonna to reserve a hotel room for me, you're going to take a cut of the room. Probably somebody else is going to take a cut of the room the housing company is going to take a cut of the room And then the hotel has their cut as well, but you're going to get those rooms for me cheaper I don't get any points. I don't get any discounts. I don't get any comps. I don't get any of those things So you know that was something that was coming down the pipe and we were all aware of that and it was just something that I think a lot of Us were just ab adamantly uh, Against because it just it it went completely against our ability to run our business in the way we thought and you know, what happened in this whole process, you know, we, we had evolved into this, you know, you've heard of probably the term, we were chasing bids, but it guaranteed that we were going to overspend, uh, every every competitive club would overspend, and they would overspend because we were highly competitive. We wanted to win championships. We wanted our club to be number one. So we would just gladly spend money, because it, was, it wasn't our money. We would gladly spend our parents' dollars, the parents of our club, uh, to chase these bids. And, you know, again, it was... It was millions of dollars being spent, virtually none of it going to USA Volleyball, and, you know, supposedly to support youth and junior development, and so, you know, they don't, they only own the single event, and another thing is that, that was going on at that time is that we would split events, and, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, directors would call each other and say, what events you're going to go to, because, the most important thing about the qualification process is to qualify. <laughs> you can't win a national championship if you're not playing in the national championship event. So, you know, I remember one year we, we played in the Indianapolis, uh, the Indy qualifier, and they had three bids. I mean, think at, at, at that time there were 32 teams in the 18 Open National Championship for the, at the year. We played three out of five. So we played three three out of five matches every day, which was a long tournament. Um, but we had, you know, we had three events – uh, we they had three bids in that tournament, and I think we I, I'm sure we qualified. But when we got to nationals that year, nine teams that had played in that Indy qualifier were in the 18 Open. where nine of the 32 teams, so that's how strong that event was. So imagine taking fifth or sixth at Indy if you haven't scheduled any other qualifiers, you're not going to go. So you know, that was an issue, that, that was a strong issue with us. There was a lot of frustration, and, you know, a lot of us who were, were running businesses and had, you know, were realizing how much money we were spending, just spending money to spend money. We were spending money to travel. It, we weren't reinvesting in our clubs. We were just spending money, and so um, the thing that, you know, th- that, that was one of the major issues when we got together, and I had given USA Volleyball in 1993, I, I could see this was coming, it was clear that it was on the horizon what was going to come if this thing continued to unfold the way it was going to fold, and you know, I had given USA Volleyball a, uh, a plan, a national championship plan for the entire country, and basically broken the country into zones where nobody had to fly to any of their zonal events. The zonal events would be the qualification events that got you to nationals, and then know the zonal events had different levels of bids i mean if the southern california and the great lakes region at that time you know the midwest and the southern and southern california were the two strongest areas at that time they had a larger number of bids because you know they were obviously going to get more teams and there were going to be some at large bids and things like that but you know the plan was based on these big zonal events throughout the country that led to an elite level national championship event that might be televised uh you know where you had you know individual matches where you had big spectator attendance and things like that. Uh, and that was 1993, but you know, the USA Volleyball didn't do anything with it. I think they just completely ignored it. And I think that's one of the things that was frustrating because these cycles run through junior volleyball. And, um, you know, so by 2006, there was a lot of frustration. L- frustration with the process, frustration with where the money was going. And again, it wasn't that money was being made by people, it was that the USA Volleyball's national championship was owned and controlled by private entities. It wasn't controlled by the national governing body. Who was, you know, t- needed all the money they could for youth and junior development. And in the 93 proposal, I had spent a lot of time talking to people who ran events and basically everybody in the country in 93 got on board to give up their qualifier tournaments because the qualifier tournaments weren't nearly as big as the time but they were going to give up the qualifier tournament and you know think about maybe if you ran that tournament you could be hired as the as the managing event director for the tournament you could still make money for your club but everybody had agreed to give up their qualification tournament to move to this zonal process at that time and with the with the understanding that all the money that was going to be made, all the profits that were made from this, would be reinvested back into youth and junior volleyball, youth national team, junior national team, junior development. All the money would go back; it would stay in the junior community, and it would stay. You know, it would do good for the junior community. That was the that was the caveat that had had been with the proposal, and I you know I still have the proposal, and it was sent to John Carroll, who was the CEO of USA Volleyball at the time, and you know that's one of the things that uh, you know was specifically stated is that we were in agree with it, but the money needed to be reinvested in the community. And, you know, USA Volleyball would have owned their entire event. You know, that would have been, they would have gotten all the revenue. They would not reinvested it where they need to be reinvested. And so, but, you know, nothing ever came of that. So this meeting in 2006, you know, there was a lot of interest and there was clearly a lot of frustration. And so we had another meeting in 2007. And so in the spring of 2007, a group of us clubs knew that we were going to be Um, leaving USA Volleyball at the end of 2007, you know, and, and, you know, there's a lot of rumors in the volleyball community about why the JVA was started. And there's a lot of rumors about our involvement, especially my involvement in the JVA. And, you know, it's, it's generally, you know, it's, it's the most ridiculous thing in the world that, you know, we had left sports performance, had left junior volleyball, or USA Volleyball, you know, to get away from USA Volleyball, which is absolutely ridiculous, because in 2003, 2004, 2005, we'd won the 18 Open National Championship. In 2006, we were third. 2007, we would win the 18 Open National Championship again. And then in 2008, we had our best team ever, which ended up going 83-0 and that year um, in the first year of the JVA. But we knew we were going to be leaving um, USA Volleyball because USA Volleyball didn't really want to talk about making any changes. They just, they didn't see any issues with it. They saw the, they had money, you know, they had dollar signs in their eyes, knowing what state of play was going to get them, that was going to get them money. And so, you know, a group of us clubs knew that 2007 would be our last year going to the USAV, what we call Junior Olympics at the time, or JOs. So uh, in 2008, uh, you know, was the first year of the JVA, and it was actually called the JVDA. Uh, It was founded. And, you know, actually, you know, Our company, Sports Performance, GLV Incorporated, along with Club Fusion, I think we gave, we held two tournaments, and I think we gave the JVDA between $60,000 and $80,000 as seed money to start the organization, to hire somebody full-time, to get incorporated, you know, get staff hired, all those kind of things. So, you know, there was so much of a commitment from the the small group of clubs that were involved in the JVA again, JVDA at the time, uh, to get that first season off the ground. So... Um, you know, we had a great team that year. We ended up winning the, the, the JVDA championship. The JVDA decided they were going to have a national championship in 2008 because, you know, we had, the clubs that had left USA Volleyball had left the qualifier process. And we wanted to have a, a year in event, we wanted to have an elite level event. And so, you know, the JVDA held their national championship in Louisville, Kentucky. You know, they at CBS broadcast. I think the finals. Uh, we had a team from Japan there, and you know, it was it was a pretty exciting event. And I think uh, CBS did a a special on it. And it was I think it went out it went really well the first year. But you know, people talk about the JVDA going off on their own. Well, the JVDA had asked USA Volleyball if they would sanction the event in 2008. So it it was supposed to be a USA Volleyball tournament. But it wasn't because USA Volleyball, for whatever reason, said, no, they wouldn't sanction the JVDA championship. It was a year-end event. But the precedent had been set in the 90s. Uh, For over a decade, there had been the volleyball festival in Davis, California. And the volleyball festival was ran basically head-to-head with the USAV's year-end event. It had been a 1,000 teams at one time, which at that time it was a huge tournament. It was bigger than USAV's year-end event. But tons of the California teams would stay in California because they could take their whole club. They would go up there. It would be a family-type atmosphere. You didn't have to qualify for it. So USA Volleyball, for a whole decade, had set a precedent of sanctioning a year-end event that went head-to-head with their own national championship. And then when the JVDA wanted to do the same thing, it was like, no. And so so the JVDA only ran their own year-end event because USA Volleyball had said no, that they wouldn't run it. And so that's how the whole thing started. So there was a championship in 2008, uh, which was, you know, I think there was four or 500 teams. It was in Louisville, Kentucky. And then there was another um, um, jvda championship in 2009 and 2009 was back in louisville actually it was a great event uh they had a you know the the people who ran and worked within the jvda at that point in time it was really about providing the best experience for the clubs it was really about junior volleyball it was really about i mean it was that was the the number one priority was the the success and the quality of the event it it it, it wasn't motivated by anything else and i remember that year, they held the 17 Open and the 18 Open championship. If you've ever been to the convention center in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, Freedom Hall, which is the old basketball arena, I think, for Louisville, uh, University of Louisville, is connected to the convention center. So, you know, what the JVDA did was on the, they started the tournament. Um, we started as a, as a group. We decided we were going to start the 17 and 18 Open tournament one day early. And so on day four of the 17 and 18 Open, which was day three of the normal tournament, they shut the they shut the whole tournament down uh, in the evening. And the eighteen open and seventeen open were played inside Freedom Hall. And there were I think over five thousand people in attendance because everybody just walked from the convention center into Freedom Hall and talk about an atmosphere for junior volleyball. I mean, thousands and thousands of young players watching the best juniors and seniors in the country playing volleyball against each other. And you know, I'm not sure who I know I know we played Munciana in the in the eighteen open championship, and I'm not sure who played in the seventeen open championship, but it was just it was an electric atmosphere and just the kids the kids had a great experience and it was just it was an awesome experience. And, you know, at that point in time, those two years were were pretty special. I mean, they were pretty special. The, the JVDA was getting off the ground. Uh, the teams that were playing each other, it, you know, there weren't hundreds and hundreds of teams, but, man, they were competitive with each other. And the level of play was very high. The rivalries that – you know, were being created because we were playing each other so much. I think the first year uh, in 2008, Muncie had maybe the second or third best team in the country. We had the best team in the country. We played them nine times that year. And you know, I think they, we would have played each other nine more times if we could have, because the matches were so competitive. And you know, I, I know Mike feels the same way. But when you get a chance to play a good team, I'd rather play a good team hundred times in a row than play a hundred different teams that are just okay. But it was it was pretty special. And so after you know after the two thousand nine championship, I mean things looked great. But in two thousand nine at the at the AAU championships. Uh, I was approached by Phil Major, who was the Illinois director of volleyball for AAU in Illinois, and I was approached. At, he was with Roger Gowdy, who was actually the president of AAU volleyball, the head of AAU volleyball, and I was approached in Orlando as we as we got done with. Uh, I think we were coming out of the gym for the after the the uh, championships there, and they had asked about would we would we be interested? Would the JVA be interested and in, in talking to AAU about some kind of partnership? And so, you know, I went back to the leadership of the JV, JVA, and which was, I think, became the JVA in 2010. Was still the JVDA, but I went back to leadership. And so, <clears throat> that fall, uh, you know, a group of AAU people flew up to Chicago, and, and there was a meeting there about how the two two organizations used to work together. And I, I think there was, t- to to me, from being in the meeting, and I think everybody else felt this way. We felt like you take the the knowledge and the expertise <clears throat> that the JVA had with the club directors being in control of the organization. It was volleyball people running a volleyball organization. It, 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 at that point in time, it wasn't about money. It wasn't about anything else. It was just how do we make the greatest volleyball experience for everybody? If you take that on the JVA side and you take <coughs> AAU at the time, which had just partnered with Disney, they had the wide world of sports. So it was like, okay, you take ESPN Disney and put them with this, and can, what can we do? And so I think we felt like there was so much potential – long term if the 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 knowledge that was within the JVA could work with the infrastructure and the organization that was AAU who had access to Disney property and ESPN property you know we could do some really 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 special things and you know I, you know i would had lots of conversations with people and i think you know there's a th- there was there was a feeling that it was going to that it it could be really really special and so you know sometime in the fall of 2009, early 2010, the JVA and the AAU combined forces, and you know what happened shortly thereafter. Uh, in the first year, the uh, AAU championship doubled in size. It went from four or five hundred teams, I think, the year before, to over a thousand teams. And you know, today in 2022, it was over four thousand teams, and I'm going to guess in 2023 it's probably going to be bigger. And uh, so, you know, that's you know that's the story, but. It almost didn't happen, because after the 2010 championship, Disney saw <laughs> Disney saw what was happening, and they went to AAU and said, we want to bring in a housing company. We want to take advantage of all these people who are coming to Orlando to, you know, to, and then you book rooms. And, you know, basically it was going to be state of play. You know, they, I think they called it a different name, but you put, put lipstick on a pig, it's still a pig. And so um, I remember... Roger Gowdy and I having a conversation uh, shortly, I think it was in maybe August of 2010. It it was shortly after the tournament, and we were talking about it. And, you know, I still have the emails that went back and forth. But basically, I just said to him, I said, if you do this, you know, the contracts are barely dry, you will lose the JBA. Because we left USA Volleyball for these reasons, and, you know, we're not going to be pigeonholed again. And, you know the JVA will walk again, because it was just, it wasn't something that we believed in. We believed so strongly against that concept, and you can see in the last couple of years, it's, it's it's one of the things that are, that's really driven the, the boys away from USA Volleyball, is just, you know, decisions being made that aren't in the best interest of their businesses, and being told they have to live with those decisions, so... It was close. I mean, we had a. I remember the conversation, and it was, you know, they they went back to Disney and go, you don't want to do this because you know we were we were renting homes down there and we were doing a lot of stuff like that. And you know, you're talking about you know when you take a lot of teams to a a national tournament, you're talking about spending a lot of money. And you know, if you have to get upcharged five or ten dollars for every room, and you've got to go through your room blocks, and you've got to be told where you're going to stay, I mean, it's just a nightmare. And so. It just it went away. It went against the whole freedom of choice thing that we wanted to have with our, with our own business and our own club. So, um, but that almost derailed the whole JVA AU partnership right after the first year because they were talking about going to a state of play. And there was one more incident that really, you know, very few people know about it. But <clears throat> in a, a few a few years later, Roger Gowdy, who was the head of AAU volleyball was going to run to be president of AAU he was going to be the president of the entire organization and you know the the after the JVA AAU partnership started you know the JVA went to a um, mid-year event called the JVA World Challenge, which I'll get into a little bit later. But, you know, the AAU had given bids to them, and Roger Gowdy had worked really hard, I think, to, uh, you know, if you finished high at the at the AAU World, at the JVA World Challenge, you got, uh, and it was an AAU event, you got free bids to nationals. So, I mean, a- USA Volleyball wasn't giving anybody free bids for anything. And AAU was giving out, you know, a lot of free bids. I mean, it was a lot of money that, that clubs were saving if you go win four or five medals at the JVA World Challenge, you know, you've got five or four or five free entry fees to AAU, which is significant money. And so, you know, at that point in time, AAU had been, you know, I think they'd been a good partner. There was some frustration on both sides because both sides wanted more. But, you know, overall, it it was a great event. I mean, the AAU championship was turning into a huge event. It was going to go on to be the biggest tournament, the junior tournament in the world. But there was an election, and it... (laughs) it's really kind of strange. There was an election, and the person running against Roger Gowdy had politicked the JVA board, uh, and especially the JVA leadership, the JVA uh, uh, executive leadership. And the JVA leadership had decided that they were going to endorse this other person against Roger Gowdy and Roger Gowdy was the volleyball chair and, and I think the reasoning was we're gonna we're gonna recommend that we're gonna We're gonna support Roger for a volleyball chair. We're gonna support this other guy for president of AAU and It was a big mistake. <laughs> I remember getting a call from from Roger Gowdy and saying you know He goes I think I have the votes. I think I'm going to win and if the JVA does support my opponent it's not gonna go well after this election's over. And so, um, you know, some phone calls were made. I think some some decisions were made that maybe uh, went the other way. And, and I know that JVA ended up endorsing and supporting Roger Gowdy. But, you know, that was a point that could have derailed the entire relationship. I think it would have put a, you know, and I had had numerous conversations with Roddy, Roger Gowdy. He had become a cl- pretty close friend and we had talked kind of openly and honestly Uh, about the situation, and and I I know how upset he had been uh, with, you know, the actions of what he thought was going to happen with the JVA, so, you know, that right there could have been a change in history as far as what the AAU tournament was and what the JVA's relationship with AAU was, and who knows what would have happened afterwards, but uh, I think it was was a big mistake that was avoided, so I think that's, you know, that's positive, but um, I, I think the Going back to the the JVA World Challenge, which was started after the AAU Championship, the original concept was that it was going to be a a festival type event that would look a lot like the AVCA Convention for Junior and Youth Volleyball. And you know, we were going to bring teams in from all over the world, bring in guest lectures all over the world. I know they brought a, I think they brought a. Uh, a coach in from Holland to do circulation volleyball one year and you know I think we had sat down at one point in time and said we would love to for it to evolve to two events where there's a youth youth event which is you know maybe junior high and younger and then there's a high school age event and you've got speakers and guest coaches and guest teams you know and really and you know from the people that I think a lot of us wanted we wanted an investment in the event, we didn't really care about how much money it made or how mu- if it, it did anything other than broke even, but we wanted to run the best events. And I think starting even then, it, it, things started to be driven by dollars and cents as opposed to vision and future and passion and, and love for what we were doing. But, you know, that was, that was the concept of the World Challenge. That's why it's called the World Challenge. The World Challenge is because we were going to try to bring in teams from all over the world. We were going to try to bring in people from all over the world. And we wanted it to be this festival-type atmosphere where people came in and had a phenomenal time. You weren't qualifying for anything. So why couldn't it be special? Why couldn't it be different? And that, that was the goal for it. So, um and you know that was the that was the biggest thing, and and I think what had been, was good about the World Challenge f- for a long time is you, you got free entry fee to the AU Championship, so that really that was a positive as well. So, um, you know that was something that we were all passionate about. And there's another thing that at at the beginning, which I thought was just I thought it was a great idea, and you know I know I put a lot of work into it, and I was really passionate about it at the beginning. And you know I I started coaching in the early 1980s, and junior volleyball was only a few years old at the time, and You know, I wanted to have a Junior Volleyball Hall of Fame. I just thought it it was so important. And it was so important that we recognize. Uh, the pioneers and the leaders of the sport of junior volleyball, because think about what this country would be without junior volleyball. I mean, USA Volleyball around the world, the United States of America, the volleyball in the United States of America around the world is the envy of the entire world, how big it is, how how much support it gets. Just, you know, everything about USA Volleyball, the, the, the sport of volleyball in America is envied everywhere. And you know, that's been built on the backs of the junior clubs. I mean, it's not built been built on the backs of the high school. It's not built on the backs of the colleges. It's built on the backs of the thousands and thousands of kids who train, you know, pay a lot of money to train, pay a lot of money to travel, go all over the country to get good enough so they go play in college. And, you know, think about what every college program in the country would look like if kids played high school volleyball 11 weeks a year and that was it. I mean, think about what the product would be. You would have nothing, the sport would look nothing like it does right now. So, you know, one of the things that I had had recommended at the beginning was that we need a, a junior hall of fame. We need to recognize the John Trejanics and the Molly Cavanaugh's and those, those people who were there at the very beginning, you know, hauling kids around in their cars and their vans, you know, they didn't get paid money ever. They spent money out of their pocket to buy kids food who couldn't afford food. And, you know, nobody, almost no, almost nobody ever flew. You drove everywhere. I remember getting on a bus in 1984 and I think we went 20 some hours to Rhode Island to play in the national championships that year. It was just a whole different time. And, you know, the, the, my passion was that we want to recognize these pioneers because they had the, they were the people that I had grown up wanting to beat they had motivated me to become the best coach possible uh you know I I knew who they were and I thought they should be recognized and uh, it was you know we started it I think there was two years of it I know John Trajanik and Molly Cavanaugh. I think there was maybe one or two others that were inducted into it and then it just died and so I'm not sure what happened but um, you know that was. I think that was an idea that was was very positive. And you know, if anything ever comes of that again, I, I just think it's so important that those pioneers be recognized because you know they they started this. And they're the reason that you know they're the reason that a lot of you listen to this are, you're in facilities. You have what you have because somebody took the chances and somebody somebody worked to grow years and years ago. So I thought that was a really really positive thing. I think another thing that starting after 2010, and between 2010 and 2020, you know the JVA, which, I mean, you couldn't find an organization that was started with a more noble beginning, and I remember sitting in those first meetings, and I mean, there was, it was, nobody had their hand out for anything. Everybody pitched in and helped, and as I mentioned earlier, I mean, us and another club put up I think it was sixty to eighty thousand dollars in seed money to start the organization because we believe so much in the cause, and you know it was just one of the things, and and we loved the idea that we were you know we were saving money, um, you know we hit we didn't have to go to qualifiers, we didn't have to belong to USA Volleyball. I remember if you weren't going to go to qualifiers, you know at at one point in sports performance. We had over 1,500 kids in the club because we, we owned a club called Align I Elite down in Bloomington, Illinois, and they had several hundred kids. So, you know, we were paying $65, $70,000 a year just for USAV memberships, and we weren't going to any USAV events. So, I mean, there was so much, there was such a positive benefit from what the JVA did. And, you know, we were so appreciative of it. And I think at some point in time, we, everybody wanted to help. I mean, we just wanted to be. We wanted the organization to be successful. We were all in it for the right reasons. It was it was pretty it was pretty special. And I think you know it, maybe a lot of young businesses are like that. But it was you know no matter what you read on Volley Talk or what you hear about the JVA, I mean there couldn't have been a more noble effort at the beginning for people to try to do the right thing for the good of junior volleyball. I mean it, it literally it was never ever for a second anything other than that. And you know those people who started the organization. Some are with it. Some are gone. But, you know, they were... They were troopers, and, you know, a lot of people, I mean, I know we took we took really big chances when we left because we had been the most successful club in the country. We had won all those championships, and we were going off in the unknown, you know, and we, we actually probably had the most to lose as a club because, you know, we were the best club that left at that time. And so, you know, but we believed so much in the mission, and when, you know, when somebody stood in that room and goes, we have to hold hands together and jump off this cliff – uh, you know, there's a few of us that did. And, I mean, some didn't, but there's a few of us that did. And I think, you know, that was the thing for us that we believe so much in the cause. And I know other people, you know, Muncie, Kiva, I know other people, they did the same thing. So I thought that was I thought that was really special. But I think at some point, you know, the JVA, originally the, the World Challenge was going to be the event that would raise enough money to pay the bills for the year. It was just they needed enough money to fund the office, to have a couple of employees, to do the good work for the organization. And also, but we also thought the World Challenge had almost unlimited potential. I mean, you know, it could have been a two or 3,000 team event over two or three weekends. But I think, you know, just it's one thing to have a vision. It's another thing for somebody else to see your vision it's another thing for somebody else to implement your vision and I think you know a lot of us who talked about the future of the organization and you know what the world challenge should be and you know it it, at some point it evolved to just another event that was a qualifier but you didn't qualify for anything and I that I guess that was the saddest part about it is it, it didn't feel you know the last few years that I went to it it didn't feel special it didn't feel unique in any way it felt like just another tournament and that's the that's the sad part, but I think, you know, between the, the 2010 and 20, 2010 and 2020 seasons, you know, at sometime in that decade, you know, the JVA evolved slowly into an event company, and they, you know, they started to expand JVA events, and when they started to expand JVA events, they directly impacted some of their members who also ran their own events, and so, you know, they put their finger on the scale. They unknowingly or knowingly worked against their own greatest supporters And in some instances, you know, put those supporters' events out of business because the JVA events basically bankrupted the events of other people who were loyal JVA members. And kind of that's the problem when you go down that road of, you know, we're going to run some events and, you know, who do we affect, who don't we affect. And, you know, by the end, the JVA was a $3 million a year organization. Primarily all their money was on events. They had big staff, most of the staff they had was to support events. And, you know, that comes from an organization that was supposed to be an advocate and a supporter and, you know, to do anything to help the junior volleyball club community. That that's that's what originally I mean, if you would have if you would have told us when we sat in that room in two thousand six that the JVA was going to run multiple events throughout the country. They were going to be a three million dollar year event business and, you know, they were going to actually be doing damage to the people who had supported them the most. You know, I think we all would have said you're crazy because that was never the goal. The goal was just to have this network to support each other, and you know, the clubs were basically supposed to do business with each other and you know support each other, as you've heard me talk about on other podcasts, directly do business-to-business relationships. But you know, for some reason, I mean, you know, it got lost in the got lost in the shuffle, and so I think that's the that's the that's the issue is because originally the JVA was going to they were going to fight for every club they were going to be there for every club they're going to be advocate they're going to fight for uh you know and you know they're going to let the clubs grow and prosper on their own merits uh without like I say putting their fingers on the scales so um I'm not sure if they've lost their way or not but you know I think people can make up their mind on that I think another another issue that that i see which i think any organization i i don't even grapple with it i just think it's just blatantly wrong is that the loyalty of the jva leadership to their mission of the jva and the, the mission of the jva if you belong to the board of an organization you know your loyalty should be to that organization or you shouldn't serve on the board it's that simple and to me when you sit on the jva board uh, you know but the club that you represent you know is sending all of its top teams to a USAV qualifier on the same weekend as the JVA World Challenge, I think that's when you talk about an organization that's lost its way. Because the first thing that, that you look at is, imagine being an executive at McDonald's and you go to Burger King every day and you eat lunch. Or you're the CEO of Ford and you drive into the Ford parking lot every day in a Chevy. I mean, how long would you last at that company? I mean, brand loyalty is one of the most important things. And you know it, this is kind of an unknown. It's 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 not unknown. It's just it's unspoken, and people kind of scratch their heads. And I've had so many conversations with people about this. But if you can't be loyal to the mission of the JVA, then you shouldn't serve on the board. It's that simple. And if the JVA has an event on a certain weekend, and you you're you sit on the board. Then your club's commitment should be to the JVA. You want to go to qualifiers 51 other weeks of the year, but if you belo- if you're a JVA board member, you know it's, it's kind of like in the old west when they say you ride for the brand. That means you ride for the brand, you fight for the brand wherever you work. That was your that's where your loyalties were. You know, to me, it's the same thing. And I think any organization that allows, you know, this kind of leadership to make these kind of decisions in terms of where my loyalties lie probably isn't an organization that <laughs> is going to be strong in many ways you know in terms of you know the demands of loyalty and uh, it's just, you know, it's to me, it's sad, and you know, I don't. It's not. I am not judging people as being good people or bad people. I mean, if your if your mission is, that I am primarily a USAV club, and I am gonna, I got to do all these things. I got, I got to chase bids at qualifiers so I can get my bid to nationals. And oh, by the way, the JVA World Challenge <clears throat> falls in the way of this bid chasing. Then maybe you shouldn't have ran for the JVA board. Maybe you should just say, listen, I am not. I can't be all in on the JVA board. Uh, and, you know, and, and another thing is the JVA supposedly. They're supposed to be partners with AAU, but you know there's so much uh, back and forth, you know, with their their leadership with USAV stuff. Then I guess my question is, then what kind of what kind of loyalty do they have to AAU? Again, it's it's kind of crazy because if AAU and JVA are partners, but a lot of the JVA board clubs are basically USAV clubs. Some of them don't even go to AAU or don't send many teams to AAU then you know, maybe it's just AAU who's stupid for not being more more cognizant of the fact that one of your partners is, is treating you the way they're treating you. So I'm not sure, but I'm not sure it's a, you know, I'm not sure. It's not something I would think is good, and maybe people think it's fine. But it's pretty hard for an organization to to be a great organization where you're committed to being the best possible, and you have the highest standards as far as uh, you know the way you execute your your mission to advocate and protect and work for all the clubs in the country. Uh, to me, it's just it's hard. Um, you know, I think that's just it's one of the things. Um, I think now we look at twenty twenty three. I mean, that's we fast forward to now. I mean, because you you know it looks like. Either the JVA's, you know, their their events have been either taken over by another organization or the JVA events have been purchased by another organization or they've been farmed out to another organization. And, you know, I I guess my initial thoughts from being in the 2006 meetings, and I, and I have all the emails and all the notes still, so when I look back at it, it's like it was such a special, unique time when I thought we we all did things that we thought – We're in absolutely the best interest. And if, as you look at 2023, it's 2006 all over again. I mean, you may not realize it, but it's 2006 all over again. I mean, you know, look at the boys' issue the last couple of years when they they bailed on USA Volleyball, you know, the frustration level with state of play and a bunch of other stuff. You know, it's not uncommon now for, Kids to be paying fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year to play club volleyball. I mean, I just had a meeting with a family a couple days ago, and you know, they're, they they said we've paid thirty five hundred for our club dues, we paid our uniform fee, we're going to pay ten to twelve thousand more for travel, and my daughter is one of four people in her position on her team, and so if you think about that, you think about, and these are all the things that we talked about in two thousand six. We're kind of right back where we started, and. You know, I, I I don't know what the G A V A leadership wants. I would assume they want what everybody else wants. I assume that they're motivated by what everybody else is motivated by. And, you know, most people in the world, it, it's money and power. I don't know if they don't want to run their own events or they just want to. I don't know any of that stuff, and I'm not begrudging them uh, whether I agree or don't agree. And I don't know anything about the organization that they're working with uh, other than just you know, outside information. And if I don't know it, I'm not going to speculate on it. But the junior volleyball community, in, and I've talked about this in another podcast, is, is fractured right now. And it's not fractured in a bad way or a good way, but it's just fractured. And, you know, if you, you go on to AES for MLK weekend, there's over 200 events. This last weekend, there were over 220 events. That's not counting the other, you know, the other registration systems. But that's how much junior volleyball is being played in this country, you know. And, and it's a great thing that there are so many tournaments. I mean, it's really a great thing. I mean, and, but I think one of the things we all know is there's so many people who are trying to fill their facilities. And you look at all these tournaments from these clubs and, you know, 60% of the field or more is their own teams, you know, we ran a debt of sports performance the last couple of years. We would run a tournament with 40 teams, and there would be 20 sports performance teams in it. And other than a few tournaments a year, you know, the cannibalization of events and the cannibalization of, of tournament fields because they're everybody's just eating each other. You know, as people have built more and more facilities or moved into more and more facilities, I mean, it's a real problem. And one of the things that, you know, that we did – out of necessity, a few years ago, is we completely changed our business model because it was clear this was coming. It's clear that if you're going to make money in your facility on a, on tournaments in your own facility, not a big third party facility where you've got a, a field coming in for sure, you know you're going to have trouble. And so, you know the, the business model for the future, you might have if you build a facility or you rent a facility, or you are you know, you know whatever, you might have people come to tournaments. But you better build a business that when kids are coming in your door Monday through Friday, you better have a youth academy. You better have a, a regional or non-travel program. You better have you know, an elite-level training program where the best kids stay with you and they don't leave and go somewhere else. You better have a summer camp program where local kids want to come into your building because your coaches are better than anybody else's coaches. I mean, that's if you think you're going to build a facility or move into a facility, and run events and make all your money on events, you know, a lot of people are gonna go out of business with that mindset. And I, and, and, and I know that we've talked about it before and I know everybody knows that's true. But you know, I think that's, the, that's my concern about the tectonic, it's really tectonic movement right now in the junior volleyball community. At what point will all or most of the big events be controlled by a single entity, supported by other entities that work for a single entity, and you know it's it's hard to say where it's going to go. I think that you know you're you're talking about uh, we I've talked earlier about you know tribes of clubs or groups of clubs banding together just for strength and numbers, uh, or you know a, a, a big club in a in an area is able to take put two or three or four smaller clubs out of business. Because they have the resources to do it, because they're tied to a much bigger tribe of clubs. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure everything that's going to happen, but I do know from 2006 to 2023 and 15 years, the mission of the JVA and what the JVA stood for and what the JVA, what the JVA goals were, have completely changed and. I guess it's sad to me because you know i was the first person to to ask these club directors to come together you know and 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 they were they were when when they joined everybody built the jva it wasn't me it was everybody but our vision and our passion and our commitment at, at that point in time you know was completely different and we just wanted the opportunity to grow our businesses. We wanted the opportunity to try to save money. We wanted the opportunity to, you know, to not be at the mercy of this big behemoth organization which was USA Volleyball and its qualifier entities. We didn't want that. And that was 2006. And now where are we in 2023? Wishing everybody the best. Thank you.